Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. Happy Easter. I have some wonderful memories of Easter when I was growing up. My dad, as you know, was a pastor of a uh, kind of a traditional church, and every Easter we used to have a sunrise service. And I have to admit that as a kid growing up that I didn't like getting up so early for that service, like why can't I sleep in? It was also a service where it took longer to get ready because it was one of the few times of the year that we wore a suit and tie. But when we got there, I was always glad that we had gone. There's just something about watching the sun rise that morning and hear the verses and sing the hymns and and just celebrate the fact that Jesus rose again. It kind of felt like the beginning of a new day. When our sunrise service was done then, we had a meal at the church, a breakfast. And uh, those of you that have been from church backgrounds know that there's just nothing like meals at the church. They're just, just absolutely wonderful. And then when the meal was done, we had our our regular Easter Sunday morning service. And that service, every year it seemed like we sang the same hymns, Christ the Lord is risen today, and up from the grave he arose. Both of those every single year. When the service was done, we went home, and my mom always fixed a ham dinner. And then when the dinner was done and the table was cleared, she'd bring out some eggs that she had boiled, and she had this vinegar solution that she'd put dye in. I can still smell that vinegar. And we would take wax and kind of color the eggs and then dip them in the solution and they would be dyed. And, and then it was time to get the goodies from the basket, the Easter basket. I still have fond memories of that nest-like material, that green material that was like the bed for the, the chocolate bunnies and, and everything else that was in there, the peeps, there were always peeps and je- jelly beans and everything else. Everything though about the day communicated this one thing, this is a big deal. You just couldn't get past that day without saying, this is really a big deal. All that we're doing that surrounds this particular story, this particular event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And of course, for Christians, it's the holiest day of the calendar year where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus because it's absolutely the very heart of our faith. Dr. Billy Graham said this, without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. Now you think about that for a minute, but I agree with him. If there was no resurrection, Jesus would have been for us maybe a good model of how to live, a person of great teaching, but the resurrection proved that he had won. Jesus looked squarely at sin and its consequence, death, And he overcame, he won, he became the savior of the world so that when we put our trust in him, we can have eternal life. Most of you know the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But Jesus defeated death. The apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, the last enemy to be abolished is death, for God has put everything under his feet. And so today we celebrate a risen Savior, but the last few weeks here at the Ridge, we've been talking about exactly who is and was Jesus. 
And we looked at the fact that he was the light of the world and the fact that he was our creator, that he was God in the flesh. And then last week I talked about how he's the lamb of God who takes upon himself and carries away the sin of the world. Again, those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, their sins, our sins are removed from us because he took the penalty for us on the cross. He was declared guilty so that we could be declared not guilty when we put our trust in Christ. But today I want to focus on something just a little bit different. I want to focus on the fact that Jesus is a king, that he's a reigning king. It's something that is true of the present, but also something looking forward to the future. Now, I realize that in our culture, the idea of a king isn't very relevant. You know, we live in what's called a constitutional republic, and and when we think of kings and queens, we think of Great Britain, you know, you think of Queen Elizabeth II, when she passes away, you know, there'll be Prince Charles who will be the king. And those kings or queens are more figureheads than anything. The real authority or the chief executive of Great Britain is actually the prime minister, not the king or the queen. But Jesus Christ is gonna reign supreme over everything. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. Now, I think some people don't like the idea of a king ruling our lives. And I think there are two reasons why. One is that I think we like to live our lives independent of any authority. I think we're like Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, we just wanna be ones going our own way. We don't want someone ruling over us, someone telling us what we have to do. And so I don't think many times we like the idea of Jesus being a king. But second, I think when we think of kings or we think of even rulers in our world today, I think we have a negative image of them because so many people use the power that they have, the authority they have to not do the right things. They use their power, for example, to control other people. They use their power to silence their enemies. They use their power to sometimes enrich themselves, to push their own agendas. But what if there were someone who was a king who cared more about others than himself, who demonstrated his selflessness in dying on a cross for us? But I understand why people wouldn't like the idea of a king ruling over them guy by the name of Lord Acton. He was a baron in Great Britain, and he wrote a, a church bishop these words, which you've probably heard before. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. I think for the most part, he's right. Of course, absolute authority, though, belongs to God, and he's worthy of it, and it doesn't corrupt. But we can understand what it's like when leaders are corrupt, when they don't do what they should do. One of the most interesting people I ever met in my life was a guy I met down in Honduras. His name was General Romero Vasquez Velasquez. And he was over the chief staff of the country of Honduras. He was over the entire military of Honduras. And he was given the charge by the Supreme Court of his country to arrest the president, to break into the presidential palace and remove the president from office. That's what he was charged to do. The news that was covering the story, the media, did not really cover it accurately according to my friends who lived down in Honduras. They said it was a coup, you know, an early morning coup, how he had come in and was trying to take over the country. The truth of the matter is he did surround the presidential palace with about 200 guards and several tanks. And he did go in, break in, and he did end up arresting the president and his family and he flew them to Costa Rica. 
The reason that I find him noteworthy is that at this point in the story, according to my friends, he could have taken over the country. At this point in the story, he was the most influential man in the country, and this could have been a real coup. The entire military were following this guy, and once he removed the president, he could have said, I am the new president, I am the new dictator of Honduras. But instead, after he removed the president and things settled down, he turned the power back over to the Supreme Court and the people and back to the regular democratic process. And when I think of a leader, that's what I think of. That's the kind of leader that you want, someone that has power and authority who can do great things and yet doesn't seek power for himself. Jesus acknowledged the problem with earthly authorities in Luke 2, 25 to 26. He said, the kings of the Gentiles dominate them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. In other words, they, they love honorary titles. But it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever's the greatest among you must be like the youngest. And whoever leads like the one serving, Jesus was talking about a different kind of leader. He was saying to his disciples, you're to be this kind of leader, but he modeled it better than anybody ever who's lived, who laid down his life for those he came to serve. In one of the most theologically rich passages in the Bible, Paul talked about this, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. He said, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As you see, he was a king even before he took on flesh and blood. He had the right to rule as the Son of God and God the Son. But in a sense, by what he did, he earned it and exalted to this highest place. He's the kind of king who is selfless. Is that not the kind of king we would want? Someone who has authority but doesn't use it to dominate? Someone who has the best interest in mind of those that he's leading? One whose decisions are always gonna be good and right and just? Someone because he's God that we can turn to at any time knowing that his heart is bent toward us and he loves us so deeply. Our savior is that kind of king and this is the kind of king I think the, des- the world desperately needs. At this time we're gonna sing a song for you. It's titled Out of Hiding. It's a, a song inviting you to turn to Jesus as the one that can bring you to peace and safety. I love some of the messages of the song. It talks about the fact he loved us even before we knew what love was that he was thinking about us as he was rising from the dead. It talks about the fact that he's victorious, but the victory is ours. You realize one day we'll rule with Christ, that Jesus is like a lighthouse that's illuminating the way, and we're invited to come running to him. When the song is done, I'm gonna come up briefly, and I wanna demonstrate how God's plan from Genesis to Revelation was the same to install a wonderful, selfless, sacrificing king to rule over all.
words toward the end there, child, you're almost home now. Please don't quit now. You're almost home to me, which is what Jesus invites us to do. Recently, I read the story of a lion that 
wanted to show just how in control he was of the jungle, and he was very proud, and so he made his way in the jungle, kind of to demonstrate his mastery, and he came across a bear, and he asked the bear, who is the king of the jungle? And the bear said, you are mighty lion. And then he came to a tiger, and he asked the same question, and the tiger said, you are great lion. And then he came to a large elephant, and he said, who's the king of the jungle? And at that point, the elephant grabbed the lion with its trunk, swung it around back and forth, slammed it into the ground, stomped on it, picked it up again, dipped it in some water, then threw it against the tree. When the lion finally staggered to its feet, he looked up at the elephant and said, look, just because you don't know the answer to the question doesn't mean you need to get upset. The kind of king that our Savior Jesus is is almost hard to fathom one who would be willing to die for us as the one who would be leading us. This idea of a king reigning throughout history and forever and ever is something that's found throughout the pages of the Bible. It's one of the promises, one of the few promises in the Old Testament that hasn't yet been fulfilled. You see, if you read in the Old Testament, there are hundreds of prophecies and almost all of them have been fulfilled. For example, God promised the nation of Israel that they would have physical land with very specific borders. And that was fulfilled in David, King David and Solomon, the exact borders that God had promised to give them, he had given to them. And then God promised to send a Messiah into the world. And the prophecies about the Messiah were about where he'd be born, what kind of life he'd live, the fact he'd perform miracles, that he'd be like Moses, even the way Jesus would die and how he'd rise again from the dead. It's all in the Old Testament, all fulfilled in Jesus. But there's one prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled, a major one, and that is that Jesus is gonna reign as king in Jerusalem forever and ever. It's prophesied throughout the pages of the Bible. One of the first references is found in the book of Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. The year was 1859 BC, 1859 years before Jesus would be born. A man named Israel was on his deathbed and just before he died, God gave him the ability to prophesy concerning each of his 12 sons. And when he came to his son Judah, this is what he said. The scepter, as in a king's scepter, will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes. And the obedience of the people belongs to him. Simply put, there is going to be a ruler that would come from the family line of Judah. He would rule with the scepter, but he would also rule with a shepherd's staff. And he would rule forever. All the world would be subject to this one. He's the one that owns that right. 860 years would pass. It's now 1000 B.C. King David had been king for a few years at this point when Samuel the prophet came to King David and gave this prophecy in 2 Samuel 7, 12, and 13. When your time comes, he said to David, and you rest with your fathers, I'll raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I'll establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom Forever. Of course, this was immediately fulfilled in Solomon, but the prophecy went way beyond that. Talks about a king who's going to have a throne forever and ever. What an amazing prophecy. Who could reign forever? 
A thousand years would pass. The years are now about five B.C. A woman named Mary has been approached by an angel by the name of Gabriel. She was someone who was from the family line of Judah. She was someone, she and her husband, who both descended from King David. And the angel said to her some profound words in Luke 1, 31 to 33. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And here we discover that the identity of this one who's going to reign forever and ever is Jesus. But we also learn something about his real identity, he's called the Son of God, the Son of the Most High God. He's going to be God in the flesh. The year is now 33 AD. Jesus had been ministering for about three years. He was with his disciples, and they decided to go into Jerusalem. And we read in John 12, 14, and 15, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it's written, Fear no more, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. A direct fulfillment of Zechariah 9 and verse 9, describing this king who is going to arrive in Jerusalem on a donkey. And of course, all of Jesus' friends thought this is it. They knew he was the Messiah. They knew that they would give the, get the privilege of reigning with him. This was it. And yet he was arrested. Yet he was tried, yet he was crucified, yet he was placed in a tomb. I can't imagine what it was like for them, those three days waiting for the resurrection to take place. All of their hopes had been dashed with Jesus. We were so sure that he was this king. But then three days later, he rose again from the dead. And for the next 40 days, he showed himself to his disciples, proving to them all without question that he had risen from the dead. It was now 40 days later though, and Jesus was with, with about 500 of his close friends on a mountain. He was getting ready to return to his Father in heaven. It'd be the last time he'd see them in the flesh. The date was May 14th, AD 33, and he said these words. We read in verse 18 of Matthew 28, then Jesus came near and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority belongs to him. Of course, the kingdom that Jesus came to establish started as a spiritual kingdom. That's even what Jesus said when Pilate asked him. Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of Christ is everywhere where Jesus rules as kings, primarily within the hearts of his people. That's where Jesus came to rule within the hearts of his people. But... He's going to come again one day and rule physically in Jerusalem. The prophecy is still going to be fulfilled. We get to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Jesus is referred in chapter 5 as being like the Lion of Judah. He's the root of David. He's depicted as, as a slaughtered lamb. And in Revelation 5 and verse 9, we read, You were slaughtered. And you redeem people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom. That can be translated kings, by the way. You can make them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. The word redeem means to pay a price to secure the release of someone from bondage. 
You were slaughtered and you redeemed people with your blood. Jesus poured out his blood for us. Of course, it was essential that Jesus die for us because of our sin problem. The wages of sin is death. The penalty of sin is death and we can't fix the problem. That's the problem with sin. We can't fix it. We need a deliverer. We need a savior. It's why Jesus came into this world to live a sinless life so that he could take upon himself our sin. God executed him for what you and I have done wrong. And in this sense, he bought us with his blood. And three days later, he rose again from the dead, demonstrating that the payment had been accepted by God. But Jesus paid the price. One interesting thing about the verse I read, though, is it said that they will reign on the earth. In other words, we're going to reign with Jesus one day. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 13, we kind of come to the end of the story, although the book of Revelation continues. We read, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and dominion to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And we find all of creation is now praising God the Father and Jesus Christ who is ruling. What do we do with this? Well, all of history centers around this one Jesus. All of history, you start in Genesis and you read, it's the Lamb of God, a picture of the one who died for us. For some of you, the step you need to take is to put your trust in him to be your savior, your deliverer. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but it doesn't count for us unless we respond to the invitation to receive him as our savior. As John wrote, as many as receive him, to those who believe in his name, God gives the privilege to become his children. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Has there come a point in your life where you've turned to Jesus? You say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I can't fix it. And I do believe, God, you sent your son Jesus for me, and I want his death to count for me. I put my trust in him today to be my savior. When we do that, when we put our trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, we receive the gift of eternal life. If you're already a believer in Christ here today, though, I just want to remind you that, that Jesus is king. And he's the kind of king that we can trust. He's the kind of king that cares about us so deeply that he would die for us. In fact, Paul wrote, he died for all that those should li who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. And I want to encourage you to side up with Jesus and recognize in this life that he wants to rule in your heart. Because ultimately we recognize this one thing, that siding with Jesus means you're on the winning side. Not the end we could 
For the earth began to shake And the veil was torn What sacrifice was made As the heavens
That is our prayer, Lord. All hail King Jesus. We just are amazed when we think about the cost that you're willing to pay to redeem us, to set us free from the bondage of our slavery to sin, to make it possible for us to have an eternity with you through your son, Jesus. We do acknowledge that, that we were like sheep who've gone astray, each turning to our own way, and that the penalty of our sin is death. But you sent your son, Jesus, to die in our place and for our sin. We're grateful for the promise you give us that through faith in him, trusting in him to be our savior, we will live forever and one day we will rule with Christ. We ask you, Lord, today, all that have a relationship with him, that, that you would work in their hearts to acknowledge the kingship of Jesus. Jesus is now working in a kingdom we can't see, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and it's a blessed kingdom is spelled out in Matthew 5. So we tell you, Lord, we love you because of your Savior that you sent for us. And we also bow before your King, Jesus. And we all pray, pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.